This is Cannabis Uncut, the podcast where we dissect the cannabis plant and the cannabis industry, answering the questions that you want answered. I'm your host, Andrew Barnes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Uncut, the podcast where we pick one topic at a time, asking our experts the questions that you ask Google, the what's, the why's, the where's and the how's. We're joined as ever by our resident expert, Professor Michael Barnes, the man who can answer your questions than Google can. So welcome again. Are you ready for this week's topic? I'm ready to go. Okay, so... This week's topic, we are going back into the plant to dissect it further. We're going to be talking about minor cannabinoids. Yes. So, in a maximum of 60 seconds, are you able to give a, a quick intro into what on earth we mean when we say minor cannabinoids? Right, yes, I'm happy to talk to a minute on minor cannabinoids. Minor cannabinoids are only minor in the sense that they're in the plant in very, very small quantities. They're not necessarily minor in terms of their effect. I'm sure most people have heard of two of the cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids, to give them their proper name, THC, uh, the one that gets you high but has really good medical properties, and CBD, the one that doesn't get you high and also has interesting medical properties. But they are but two of about 160 cannabinoids in the plant. Those studied, and we haven't in any means studied all of them, uh, are known to have interesting and potentially worthwhile medical properties. Um, The point of them in the plant is that probably all of them together add to the overall positive effect of the plant, the so-called entourage effect, which no doubt we'll cover in more detail. That's basically the minor cannabinoids, um, minor only in the sense of they're there in tiny amounts. Great. Thank you very much indeed. Right. So let's get into the actually before we before we get into the uh, the questions that you've asked Google, we need to we do need to have a quick think about what the person in the street may know about the the topic of this week's discussion. So um, going back to um, Susan and David, Susan, David Smith, um, what on earth will they know about minor cannabinoids? I'll have my go first before passing back to you. And I think this one is going to be very short, sharp and simple. Um, I think they will know absolutely nothing at all about this week's topic. I have to agree with you. As I've said, I think people will have generally heard of THC and CBD. I think they're highly unlikely to have heard of many of the others. They might have heard of CBG, CBC and CBN, um, which we can cover in a moment, no doubt. But I don't think they'll have heard at all about the rest. So I think you're absolutely right. Great. Well, we, we, we agree again. We agree again. OK, so. Um, thinking about what minor cannabinoids are, so you have mentioned them a little bit, but uh, I think we're probably safe to say that there is the the big five cannabinoids. So the THC, CBD that we've talked about, and then there's the three minor ones, CBN, CBG and CBC. Um, are there any others that we know anything about other than those kind of big five not uh, not much um one one to add to your list is probably thcv uh, the v stands for varine which is another added chemical on a side chain um and the v's uh are just as um preponderant in the plant as those without the v uh, and the thcv is known to have some interesting medical properties we are in fairness we are discovering uh, things quite quickly 
and one actually was only reported a, a few weeks ago now called THCP, um, which is meant to be about 20 times as potent of THC. So that might be beloved potentially of adult recreational users, I would imagine. Uh, but it may also be in very, very small quantities, of course, very interesting and very useful for, say, pain. So we are slowly uh, unraveling the interesting medical properties of the other minor cannabinoids. But actually, I, I think of the 160, we probably know something about, let's be generous and say a dozen of them and precious little about the other 140, 145 or so. Okay, so if we're if we're thinking about the the other the other kind of strain of minor cannabinoids, and you have mentioned one is the 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 A's and the V's. So yes. um, adding an A and adding a V to pretty much every single yeah. cannabinoid that you can possibly think of. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what we mean by the A and the V and how yes. let's just let's just say CBD. So how does CBD differ from CBDA? differ again from CBD V? Well, it's worth going back a, a step that in the natural plant that grows in a field, um, the cannabinoids in that plant are in acidic form, A for acid. So let's take the mother cannabinoid, the one that starts all the process of is CBG, but it's in the natural plant, it's in the form of CBG A for acid. That's broken down into THC A for acid. CBD A and CBC A. Those A's have slightly differing medical properties from their um, decarboxylated component. That's decarboxylation means you get rid of the acid, basically. So you take THCA, you, you go through a process called heating or light or time, but mainly heating to get rid of the A, get rid of the acid, and it becomes THC. THCA does have properties in right. It is, for example, anticonvulsant. It helps children with epilepsy. The important thing about the A's is they're not psychoactive. They don't get you high. So you could, if you're so inclined, uh, make a smoothie of a, of, a, of a flower from the field, without anything being done to it, uh, drink that and you don't get high because all the cannabinoids are in the acid precursor form. Um, so that's interesting. When you either smoke it or vape it or have it as an oil, it will have been decarboxylated. So most of that acid forms have been translated into the non-acid decarboxylated forms, uh, which can get you high if it's THC. So that's the A's. V's are another, uh, another uh, complicated chemical addition called a varine um, addition. I don't think it matters to anybody um, what exactly that is, but it's an additional small chemical component stuck on the side. Um, and the, so you get CBG V and in the in the plant form, it's CBG VA. So actually it sounds remarkably complicated. It's actually quite simple. And the V's have also slightly differing properties uh, from those with the A or the with all the decarboxylated forms. So THCV has slightly different properties from THC and THCA. I hope that's not been too confusing, but it's actually quite simple to understand. So you get the V's by heating further. Normally. No, no, no. You get the, the V's are there naturally um, in an acidic form. So naturally they're in CBG VA. They're just a slightly different chemical formulation called varine. Do you normally get a small amount of the V's across pretty much all of yes, the known you cannabinoids? You do. The proportion of these cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids and the major cannabinoids will vary from 
um, let's call them strains, strains to strains, there'll be slightly different proportions, but most of the plants have most of the cannabinoids in them. Some will have be very high in THC, and what we shouldn't forget is the, the plant has a finite capacity. So if you have a very high amount of THC for the recreational market, for example, you have effectively less room for the other minor cannabinoids and the terpenes. Um, so it's predominantly THC. If you have a more of a balanced product with less THC, a bit more CBD, you have room for more of those minor cannabinoids. So it does vary quite a lot from, from strain to strain, from plant to plant. Um, but in most of the plants, there are most of the cannabinoids. So the next obvious question is um, when and how they're formed. Now, a lot of people won't know that the, a lot of cannabinoids go on their own journey, their own life cycle. So some of the cannabin minor cannabinoids that are, are, are fairly well known, so CBD, CBN is probably the most well-known secondary cannabinoid that comes mm -hmm. as part yep. of THC's life cycle. And then I think you also have, um, I think CBL comes from a breakdown of CBC, or maybe that's CBP, but one of them. Most of them go on their own life cycle. Yeah, there's a sort of hierarchy, if you like. The, the, the mother cannabinoid, I think that's perhaps the right term, the one that starts the whole process off, the one that's in the forming of the flower um, is CBG, cannabigerol. It's in the flower, as we said, in acidic form. So it's actually there as CBGA. As the plant matures, that CBG will break down into three components, THC, CBD, and CBC, again, initially in the acid form. Um, those components, it, again, will break down over time. They'll oxidize, in fact. So THC actually breaks down to CBN. Um, and that's it. And all the others, uh, some of them don't form from THC. They're there as a separate entity to start with. So there's CBGVA, for example, the varines are there. There's others, uh, as you said, with, with L's and P's and things that um, and no one really fully understands. I don't think it's relevant, that relevant for people to, to know, to be able to list all 158, 160 of them. But that's basically the sequence. They will break down as the plant matures into other cannabinoids. So the fact that an early plant that you've, you've, you've brought to maturity earlier will be higher in CBG. Uh, an older plant, one that's passed its sell by date, for want of a better phrase, will be high in CBN because time has passed, the THC is broken down to CBN, etc. Um, some varieties will always retain quite a high amount of some of those things, like uh, some varieties that contain always retain a high amount of CBG. Others have a, always have a tiny amount of CBG. So it's highly variable from strain to strain and also how you've grown it. I think people don't realize that if you have a, a strain name, if we look to the recreational market, let's take one like Girl Scout cookies or something like that. Uh, there's what you get um, as a recreational product is not always the same. So what's in the bag does not always the same. In fact, there's quite a big difference according to how that plant, how that seed has been matured how it's grown, when the flowering has been induced, uh, how it's been fertilized, what light's been shone on it, when the flowering has, uh, when it's been um, cut down. It's hugely variable. So actually people, certainly medically, should move away from this a bit of a, a street obsession with the 
those funny names that you get from the recreational market because they're actually not really relevant at all. Right, thank you. So the the next question is 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 going to be one that is literally you have just talked about it is going to be um, absolutely impossible to to answer, but we'll give it a go. It's talking about the the, the kind of the percentages of, of of what is actually in the plant. So um, we're going to have to make some um, some assumptions here. So it, I mean, like you said, if it's a young plant, the CBG and the CBC will be significantly higher in it. The very early part of the the cannabis plant's life, probably the the most dominant by some way. Uh, which will kind yes. of continue to decrease as it gets older and then when you're talking about a very 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 old plant cbn will be um, significantly higher but if we're talking about a yes. a normal cannabis plant that is in the um, mid stage of its life uh, mm. trying to make it as, as generic as possible mm. what kind of percentages will make up that plant take it's a very difficult question to answer if you take the the flower Ignore the rest of the plant, ignore the stem and the roots and the leaves, just take the flower. And if you do the dry weight of that flower, the most cannabinoids and terpenes you get in total is around 30%. The rest of the 70% of the flower is therefore other flower components, bits and pieces of bits of stem, bits of little bits of leaves, bits of chlorophyll, bits you don't really want. So the most, it's a rather simplistic view, but the most you can get is about 30%. And a very high THC plant, fully designed for the recreational market, probably could have just about 28, 29% THC in the dry weight of the flower. That, for medical purposes, isn't much good because it will get you high and people with medical breeds don't want to get high, generally speaking, and it hasn't so much medical value. So what you're looking at uh, for medical purposes is uh, probably the most you want, want is about 24% THC, but you may want even much less than that, you know, less, less than 10% uh, to leave room in that plant for more CBD and more of the other minor cannabinoids and terpenes. And the reason for, for saying that there's a finite capacity is the cannabinoids and the terpenes are contained in little, if you like, little pods called trichomes. And those trichomes are, have a finite volume. So all the cannabinoids and all the terpenes and a few other bits like flavonoids have to be packed into that pod. And of course, the pod has a, has a finite volume. And the more of one component you have, the less of other components you have. So a complicated answer to your question is uh, the total uh, by dry weight is about 30%. And hopefully for medical and wellness purposes, you want that to be fairly evenly balanced between the, the good major cannabinoids, let's call them that, the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes. So then if we're thinking more about the minor ones, the minor cannabinoids, and keeping to the, yes. the big five, so CBN, CBG and CBC, Yes. what kind of level would they have within the most generic cannabis plant possible? Oh, the CBG, CBC, you're really not often looking more than one to two percent by dry weight. Um, sometimes much less than that, sometimes barely detectable. Uh, I don't know what the highest natural natural amount of CBG is. I, I don't know, but I would guess it's not more than three or four percent, and that may be generous. Great. OK, thank you. So now if we are still focusing on the big five minor cannabinoids, well, sorry, the big three minor cannabinoids, the other two aren't minor. Um, and we're thinking about a little bit about what they do. There's obviously a lot of questions and people who are curious about the potential mm. medical benefits of the other 
components within the cannabis plant. So if we take each one of the big, the the other big three, in turn, hmm. thinking about what is known medically about each one and what potential, what what potential might be there for kind of further research. Um, so CBN first. What yeah. is known about about CBN in terms of its 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 medical potential medical medical benefits, and do do you well, think that's something that maybe should be researched further? Uh, should it be researched further? Yes, absolutely, because uh, there's so much we don't really understand about some of these. Certainly, most of the monocannabinoids in any detail at all. So, yeah, we didn't certainly need to do more work um, on them generally. CBN is it's little like a like a mini T mini THC if you like. It's said to be just slightly psychoactive. It, it, uh, that's a quite, not quite the right word. It gets you a little bit high. It's certainly one of the controlled cannabinoids as defined by the government, but it doesn't really get you anything like as high as the THC. So people need not be worried about that. Um, in its own right, um, it's analgesic. It, it helps pain. Um, it's anti-inflammatory, so it reduces inflammation in the body for some conditions like, for example, Crohn's disease or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it, interestingly, it's antibacterial. It acts as an antibiotic, if you like, as well, which is an interesting property, which hasn't really been utilized. It stimulates appetite. And particularly interestingly, it's anticonvulsant. It's anti-epilepsy as well. Uh, so um, THC shares most of those properties. Uh, so CBN is, is useful in that it is it doesn't it doesn't cause a, so much of a high, but it does share some of the other properties. So it sort of uh, complements, if you like, THC. So it's quite useful. It's one of the few things in life, if you think about it, when a product um, past its sell by date remains useful because the THC will have broken down to CBN, but CBN is still quite useful. So in the Americas, where the, the market is, is, is slightly more mature, um, th- what I know about CBN is that it's very often used as a sleeping aid across them. Yes. So is that something that is just kind of built up in public consciousness or is there kind of studies behind that? To, to, no, to that, well, that there's not that many studies of CBN generally. But yes, another another component is that it's uh, it's helpful for sleep. It, it, it's sedating. Yes. Uh, again, a bit like THC. THC is quite a good sedator at, at certain doses. But CBN is, is very similar to that. Yeah. OK, so moving on to the, the next one, the mother cannabinoid. CBG and thinking about what we know about CBG um, and does it have any medical benefits itself? It does. Again, um, perhaps it's best known, one that's most researched in man, although there's precious little studies, but there are studies, is anti-inflammatory action. So it reduces inflammation. And um, there's some very good, useful, interesting studies on the use of CBG in Crohn's disease, for example, which people probably know is an inflammatory condition of the bowel. Um, It's a a little bit analgesic, but not that much. It's mainly anti-inflammatory. It does some other interesting things as well. Again, it's antibacterial. And I think the antibacterial use of some of these cannabinoids hasn't really been explored much at all, but it is. It also stimulates appetite, which for people with poor appetite or, um, or reduced appetite, course of things like HIV or chemotherapy can be very useful. It does a few other sort of slightly random things. It reduces tone in bladder and um, you know, people, for example, with multiple sclerosis uh, can have a very um, small, tight, overactive bladder um, and it reduces the tone of the bladder. And also in a similar sort of fashion, it reduces the pressure inside the eye. So it could be quite useful uh, for people with glaucoma. 
And interestingly, and again, this has not really been explored in man, it has quite potent anti-cancer properties, uh, certainly in animal models. And I think, again, a general principle of some of these other so-called minor cannabinoids is eventually they might be quite useful as anti-cancer um, agents for not for all cancer, not general cure of cancer by any means, but um, to reduce the load of cancer to, in some types of cancer. So that's mainly what CBG does. In man at the moment, it's it's most of its use has been looked at as anti-inflammatory properties. So a really interesting, and this is something that we will get into in, in more depth. Um, a lot of the cannabinoids, uh, and I'm going to come back to CBC in a second, but a lot of the yeah. cannabinoids interact with the same receptors in the body um and, and some of some of um some of ones that, that the other ones don't yeah uh, so cbg is is a good example of something that interacts with a lot of the same places in a, in, in a lot of the same ways that cbd does yes. so how can you have a a cannabinoid or a property that interacts with broadly the same things but is able to have totally different effects on the human body for two different people that is a very good and unanswerable question. You're quite right that some of these appear to interact with the same receptors. Um, CBD is not a good example because it, it doesn't actually interact that well with the endocannabinoid system. It interacts with a lot of other different receptors in the body and has a very complicated, wide-ranging effect on lots of different receptors, as does CBG. Um, I think the only potential answer to why sometimes these cannabinoids seem to seem to um, bind to the same receptors but have slightly different effects by so doing is probably because they bind to different parts of the receptor. Um, and if you rebind, if you look at the receptor as a sort of, um, I don't know, I think of a, a good analogy, a paper bag, most of the, the proper receptors will, will drop in the top of the paper bag, bind to that paper bag uh, from the top. Other receptors would actually bind to the side of the paper bag, still have a little bit of an effect, but it could, it could, it could change in 3D that binding receptor so other things don't bind as well. Um, CBD is meant to do that, for example, if we take, uh, perhaps people remember from our last uh, discussion, there's a thing called the CB1 receptor. THC does most of its actions by binding to that CB1 receptor. CBD also binds to that receptor, but it, it changes the 3D configuration of that receptor, so then THC doesn't bind as well. So it has the effect of reducing, it, has, it reduces the effect of THC, it's anti-THC, if you like, um, because it's just bound to a different place in the receptor and changes its 3D configuration. That does sound very complicated, and I think it's, it, it is very complicated. And frankly, a lot of these minor cannabinoids, we don't really know what they bind to and how they bind to them. So it's not a matter of just binding to a receptor, it's how it binds to that receptor and how it changes the configuration of that receptor and therefore affects how other cannabinoids and other chemicals are able to bind. It's a, I'm sorry that's a complicated answer, but it's a complicated subject and one we don't actually fully understand. Okay, thank you. Um, right, so we're going to go back to the, the, the final one. So the final yeah. one, CBC. Yes. And the same question, the same question has been asked. So what does that do and what do we know about it? And does that have any potential medical benefits? It does. Um, again, we know a little bit less about it than our, our colleagues or their cousins, CBN and CBG. But we do know, again, it, it has interesting anti-cancer properties. Again, I'm not going to propose it as anti-cancer thing in man as yet. Those studies have not really been done. Um, it's also 
anti-inflammatory and you'll notice now a bit of a theme that most of the cannabinoid studies have anti-inflammatory properties interestingly cbc for whatever reason and i don't understand it seems to be very useful for uh, inflammation of the skin in things like acne and psoriasis so as a topical agent it could have quite a lot of potential just to rub on the inflamed skin and it's one of the few cannabinoids that have been shown to have antidepressant properties now interestingly the illegal uh, black market use medically uh, of cannabis the second most popular one after pain is for treating depression uh, but there's very few studies of um, that convincing studies that show that cannabinoids can help depression helps anxiety but not depression but the cbc is one of those that has been shown to help depression and again it may be a factor of that entourage effect that for an antidepressant property you need a cannabis strain that's relatively speaking higher than others in cbc as one example so yeah again cbc has a lot of interesting potential and actual medical properties Thank you. So we've, we've talked about the big the big ones. Um, we have yeah. we have missed out some A's. So another one that got yeah. a lot of press recently was CBDA. I just wondered if you could kind of do it maybe. Yeah, um, Any you think we, we have missed? Um, CBDA, and to remind people, that's the acidic precursor of CBD. You get rid of the A by decarboxylating by heat or light or time. Uh, so CBDA is the one in the natural plant. Um, and interesting, CBDA is very strongly anti-emetic. That means anti-sick. So it's a very good anti-sickness agent. Very strong, one of the strongest known to man. Again, it has an anti-tumor effect, anti-cancer effect in some animal models. And that's a, a, a issue shared by a lot of the cannabinoids. Again, it's anti-inflammatory. Um, and it's, of course, it's non-psychoactive as well, because you wouldn't expect it to be, because the acidic precursors aren't, and it's CBD. Um, forms in a CBD anyway. So I think for CBDA, its most useful potential thing is that it's very strongly anti-sick, anti-nausea. Well, what I read about it recently, I don't know if you, if you remember this, there was a huge um, uh, bit of press around CBDA around its potential to mm -hmm. stave off COVID-19. Yes, uh, there was a lot of hype about COVID-19, generally speaking, wasn't there? But that was something that uh, some people thought. Um, the cannabinoids generally for COVID-19, the, the, the best uh, reason why it might be helpful and other cannabinoids might be helpful is the anti-inflammatory um, effect. Um, now, you'd think that if you have exposed to a virus, you want to promote an inflammatory response that gets rid of the virus antiviral inflammatory response if you like indeed that's true but the damage from covid is probably when the system's overwhelmed and you get what's called a cytokine storm the body goes into overdrive and and, and it sort of begins to damage itself by a, an overactive inflammatory response so in those circumstances you might want something that calms it down an anti-inflammatory response so some of the people were suggesting that it might be useful to prevent the really significant complications of COVID by using cannabinoids for their anti-inflammatory effect. And CBDA was one of those that was suggested. I think the evidence for that is not particularly robust. And indeed, there's a study going on at the moment to see if using cannabinoids can uh, reduce the incidence of long COVID. In other words, those long damaging effects, that study is not finished yet. So yeah, there's a lot of hype about CBDA and other cannabinoids. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that it's unproven. 
but as they're safe, um, would I try a, a cannabinoid if I had was really worried about myself for COVID? Yeah, I probably would. Um, but that's in the realm of anecdote rather than the realm of science. Great. Okay. All right. Well, that that wraps up this episode talking about about minor cannabinoids but I'll, I'll finish with one last question for you so um, obviously there's a huge amount of research that needs to be done and should be done worldwide around um, even the main cannabinoids but of the minor ones yes. which ones do you think um, are you kind of most interested in? which do you think in the future they may be up there to rival kind of uh, CBD and, and, and THC in terms of its medical benefits once we understand them a little bit more I th I'd like to know a lot more about the, the subtle properties of CBG and CBN. Uh, but though interestingly, some of these newer ones, and I mentioned THCP, um, for example, are beginning to show some really interesting properties. So I think the answer has to be nothing specific, but we really do need, I think urgently now, is to look into the medical properties in man uh, of some of these other minor cannabinoids. And the plant is endlessly fascinating. And we've got so much good things medically coming out of THC and CBD, multiply that by 160, and you can begin to see uh, the potential medical benefit of the plant and all these other cannabinoids. And then of course, if we say, let's take one of them at random, THCP, we find it's really helpful. You can then to begin to breed cannabis strain that happens to be high in THCP. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of manipulating of the plant that can be done uh, for medical benefit. And we haven't even mentioned the additional benefit from the terpene profiles, which are clearly important and no doubt will be a subject of uh, another one of these um, podcasts. They, w they definitely, definitely will want uh, to look forward to in the future. Um, but we'll leave it there. And thank you very much again for joining us for another episode of Cannabis Uncut. Thank you very much. That was Cannabis Uncut. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This was brought to you by Tincture Taylor. Head over to tinctureTaylor.com now for a unique range of cannabinoid and terpene tinctures.